You are listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Awesome. Well, it's so good to be with you today as we're continuing our series called Counterculture. Uh, We've been teaching for the past few weeks through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, which is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians, a church, a group of Christians living in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. So today, let me start by asking you this question. How many of you love it when someone shows you a better way to do something? A better way, right? Like, for example, you're going to a party and you want to bring a dish. You want to impress your friends, you know, and you've got a recipe, but you decide last minute, let me just check and see what else is out there. And then you find a recipe that's even better than yours and you show up and everybody loves your dish and it makes you look good. Don't you love that? You know you do that. (laughs) Or you're at home and something breaks at your house and you're trying to fix it and you're wasting time. You're kind of stuck and you get on YouTube. Come on, how many of you YouTube it? And you find one of those home improvement videos, right? And you're like, oh, that's what I was doing wrong, you know? And it just saves you so much time. It shows you a better way. Or you're driving. You ever have this happen? You're driving, like Siri comes on and she shows you like a five-minute shortcut. Like you're running late and, and, and it actually works. I love it when it actually works, when it's the right shortcut. And it saves you five minutes. It's a better way. Or how many of you ever see these, these uh, life hacks, you know, on social media? Little tips, like simple little things. A couple years ago, I found one that changed my life. Somebody put out a life hack. You know when you're on your iPhone that the space bar on your keyboard, you can use that to kind of control the cursor and move it wherever you want? Yeah, some of y'all don't know about that. You ought to try it. It'll save you like hours of your life trying to do it with your fingers. I'm telling you, it's a better way. It changed my life. (laughs) A better way. So today in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul sets out to show the Corinthians a better way. And let me just kind of refresh your memory with what's going on here in these chapters, this part of 1 Corinthians, okay? Paul, in these chapters, he's really correcting the Corinthians, and he's talking to them about how they're using their gifts, their spiritual gifts. The problem is, the problem was there were certain people in the church who thought there were certain gifts that made them spiritually elite, that made them better than others. They thought some gifts were better than others, and people were using their gifts in a very selfish way, in a very self-promoting way, a prideful way. There was confusion. There was chaos, and so Paul is correcting them. And in chapter 12, he gives them this analogy, the body of Christ. If you were here last week, you'll remember that, right? He says, no, no, no. The way you use your gifts, let me give you an analogy. It's like the church is like the body of Christ. We all have a gift, right? Every gift is important. We have diverse gifts, just like we have different body parts. We need all of them working together. And so he's correcting them. And then when he gets to the end of chapter 12, he, he writes this verse, which we're going to read, which is really the setup for the chapter we're going to read today. Let's look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. Paul says this, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Paul says, I've got a better way for you. Let me help you out. Let me show you a better way than the way you've been doing things, the way you've been misguided and had the wrong motivation with your gifts. Let me show you the most excellent way. And here's the sneak preview. It's all about love all about love. Now, the chapter that follows is one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible. As we start reading it, I would guess that many of you are going to recognize some of these words, but I want you to remember the context here. Paul is giving correction. He's giving encouragement to a group of Christians who have been misguided, who are using their gifts the wrong way. And he says, I want you to to follow the most excellent way and to prioritize what's most important, and that is love. 
So let's dive into it. Are you ready? Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul writes this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship and I boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So what's going on here? Well, first of all, Paul is not diminishing the spiritual gifts. He's not saying spiritual gifts aren't important. No, actually, he's saying spiritual gifts are very important. It's just that love is the most important thing. Love is the most important motivation. He says, you got to get this right. We we desperately need everybody using their gift. We talked about that in last week's message. If you weren't here, go back and, and watch it on YouTube. Listen to it on the podcast. We desperately need everybody using their gift. We need a healthy use of the gifts of the Spirit in the church today. But even more so, we need love. Even more so, we need the motivation of love. This is the most excellent way. This is the better way. And so here's the idea today, church. If you have to choose one thing to excel at, excel at love. Come on, how many of you can can excel at one thing? I want to encourage you today. Not 100 things, not 10 things. How many of you have enough faith to believe? All right, three of you. How many of you have enough faith to believe you can excel at one thing? I'm believing for you. By the end of this message, you're going to believe that if you can't excel at anything else, you can excel at love because love is the only thing that will last. Love is the only thing that will last. We're going to talk about what that means uh, later on in the message, but I want to give you three principles for excelling at love. Three principles for excelling at love. We want to have the right motivation. If this is the most important thing, man, we want to excel at love. So I want to invite you to take some notes today, lest you think this message is for somebody else, because this message is for all of us today, because we want to excel at love. So here's the first principle. Number one, make love your greatest motivation. Make love your greatest motivation. Come on, somebody say motivation. Motivation. Make love your greatest motivation. Look at this. In verses one through three, Paul uses some hyperbole here. He uses exaggeration. He says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, I don't even know what that means. Right? He's like, even if I could speak in the tongues of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making a bunch of noise. Come on, some of you grew up in churches where people spoke in tongues, but they were also fluent in gossip. Hello, somebody. Right? They missed the point. Some of you are like, yeah, pastor, that was my church growing up. It misses the point, right? Paul says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I'm like the Jedi Knight of prophecy, but I don't have love, if I have faith that can move mountains, then I'm nothing. Look at this in verse three. He says, if I give all that I I possess to the poor, if I give my body to hardship, like literally, if I allow myself to be martyred, but I do it out of the wrong motivation, I gain nothing. Wow. Now, I want you to notice something here. Notice that Paul... It says it's actually possible to do all of these things without love. Notice he didn't say, if you don't have love, you can't prophesy. Notice he didn't say, if you don't have love, you you can't have the gift of faith. No, no. Actually, what's really scary about this is it's possible to do all of these things without love. You can exercise spiritual gifts. You can have faith. You can be generous to the poor. But here's the truth. Without love, our actions are often misguided. They're often misguided. See, we're capable of doing good things with selfish motives. Oh, come on, somebody, don't get quiet. How many of you know that's true? We're capable as human beings of actually doing good things with bad, selfish motivations. And if you don't believe that's true, have an honest moment with yourself. How many times have you done something nice for someone secretly hoping to get something in return? 
How many times have you ever done that? Come on, husbands. Husbands have been doing this since the dawn of civilization. I stopped to pick up my wife some flowers. Hey, honey, I got some flowers for you. I was thinking of you today. He's hoping to get something in return. Hello, somebody. Right? This is just human nature. All the husbands are like, yeah, I'm busted. Here's the reality. Paul says people can use God-given gifts to draw attention to themselves. Some of you grew up in churches like that where people were using their spiritual gifts, but it was always about drawing attention to themselves. How many of you know it's possible that people, you can actually give to the poor, but with the wrong motivation. You can get to the poor to feel better about yourself instead of actually serving that person. And so Paul says, we, we got to get the motivation right. See, here, here's the thing. We often confuse gifting with good character and motivation. We see gifted people and we automatically assume their heart is right and their character is right and their motivation is right. And this is why we're so often surprised when really talented people crash and burn. Why is it that we're always surprised that another uh, politician, there's a scandal that brings down another politician or a scandal that brings down another celebrity or even a pastor? Why is that? It's because we naturally confuse gifting with motivation. Come on, how many of you paid attention in history class? Some of the worst leaders of the last century had tremendous gifting but lacked character and healthy motivation. I I don't want to give him too much credit, but Hitler had no lack of charisma and vision and the ability to get things done but he was motivated by hatred, right? And he plunged the world into utter darkness because his motivation was wrong. And so Paul says, you gotta get your motivation right. Now, here's the thing. Each of these gifts that Paul describes are actually really good things. The gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gift of faith and and, and giving. But if they're done with the wrong motivation, they don't bring glory to God. And that's what was happening in the Corinthian church. And I think Paul is kind of giving a warning to us today. You gotta get your motivation right. You gotta get your motivation right. Here's the idea. Seek love first because love transforms our motives. Come on, how do you know your motives are right, right? If we're, if we're capable of doing good things with bad motives, sometimes we're not even realizing it. We drift into that. Here's how you get it right. With the help of the Holy Spirit, you seek love first because love will transform your motives. Love will, tra- will change your motives. You know, in leadership, we often teach this principle. It's called the why behind the what. That's something we talk about a lot here in our church staff and something we teach to our leaders and our team members. Let's say we're training our amazing guest services team members to give you a great experience when you come in. But we talk about why we do that. Or if we're training our our kids team members, right, to to help check families in, check kids in and and give you a great experience. We talk about why, why that matters, right? The why behind the what. Come on, some of you came in here today and you're feeling a sense of like, Pastor Jeremy, I need to know what my purpose is, what my direction is, what God has for me. You need to discover your why. And can I help you today? Make love your why. If love becomes your why, then almost whatever you do can't go wrong. If you get the why behind the what correct, then almost whatever you do, you can't go wrong. Whatever your talent is, whatever your gift is, whatever your profession is, make love the motivation and you hardly can ever go wrong. Are you with me today? Paul says you got to get the motivation right. Now, how do we do that? That's the million-dollar question, right? Well, let's keep going because Paul is going to give us one of the most famous descriptions of love really in all of Western civilization. In fact, the verses that we're about to read are verses that we hear read at weddings all the time. I mean, unchurched people are actually familiar with the verses we're about to read today. Famous description of love in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Here's what Paul writes. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always 
perseveres. How many of you recognize those famous words? Beautiful words, right? Probably one of the most powerful descriptions ever written in the, in, in, in the history of the world, this description of love. Certainly in Western civilization, one of the most famous descriptions of love. Now, we're talking about three principles for excelling at love, because if we want to excel at anything, we want to make love our priority. So here's point number two. Put this in your notes. Keep Jesus-style love as your ultimate goal. Jesus-style love. What kind of love are we talking about? Keep Jesus-style love as your ultimate goal. Now, the word that Paul uses for love here, as he's describing love and what it looks like, is the word agape. Agape love is the love of God the Father. This is self-sacrificial love. This is, this is love that prefers others. This is love with no strings attached. It's the kind of love that we see embodied in the very person of Jesus Christ, come on, who went to the cross for our sins, right? Who died for us, gave of himself. That kind of love. Paul says this is Jesus-style love. And, and I want you to notice a few things that Paul describes as he describes this kind of love. Let's make a few observations here today. Observation number one, Jesus-style love is others-focused. Come on, somebody say others-focused. Jesus-style love is actually others-focused. Notice that most of Paul's description is about how we treat others. Look at these verses with me again. Love is patient toward others. Love is kind toward others. It does not envy others, right? It, is, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. Paul says that Jesus-style love is others' focus. Here's the problem. You and me, naturally, we're self-focused. By nature, right? Everything about us, our inner wiring, we're wired to believe that we are the center of the universe. Everything in us tells us that we are the most important person in the world, Paul says, agape love, Jesus-style love, it's others-focused. Here's the other thing. Others-focused love is, is the opposite of how we naturally love. We tend to love people with strings attached. We tend to love people who are lovable. We tend to love people who can do something in return for us, people who can love us back. Sure, I'll love you if you give me companionship, if you give me sex, if you give me something in return. That's how our world loves, Right? I'll love you if you have something to give back to me. And Paul says, no, that's not, not actually how Jesus loves. That's not, not, that's not actually the kind of love we see in, in God the Father. It's others focus. Remember, Paul is writing to a group of Christians who were using their gifts to be self-serving rather than serving others. I want you to remember the context. Paul is not just writing like Shakespeare to give us this beautiful, touchy-feely picture of what love looks like. He's correcting a bunch of Christians who were missing it. I don't imagine that the Corinthian church was very effective at reaching the world around them because they couldn't get along with each other. And so Paul says, you got to get the main thing, the main thing, like this matters. So Paul says, let me help you. Let me show you what love looks like. Let me describe to you what it looks like. And it's a very humbling and convicting description, isn't it? Because how many of you have discovered that loving people is difficult because people are difficult to love? Anybody else with me today? This Christianity thing would be great if it weren't for all the people involved. Come on, somebody. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is go back and read these verses, right? Read Paul's list and substitute your name for the word love or the pronoun it. Let's do this together. We're going to have a, a little exercise here. All right. We're going to read this verse. Put it back up there for me. And wherever you see the word love or the, or the, or the word it, I want you to substitute your name. Are you ready? All right. Read this under your breath. Like Jeremy is patient. Your name is kind. Your name does not envy does not boast. Say your name. Your name is not proud. It's not dishonor others. It's 
not self-seeking, is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Okay, can we just stop right there? Are we all thoroughly convicted? Okay? So you can be encouraged today because we are all equally crashing and burning when it comes to this list. You're dismissed. You can go home. You're done. All right. So we can laugh because, because the list is so convicting, isn't it? I mean, man, we fall short of this list. And so the bad news is, as we read this scripture, we struggle to love people this way. But here's the good news. There is one who lived a perfect, sinless life on your behalf, who is the embodiment of love, and his name is Jesus. And when you plug his name into that list, it works perfectly. Come on, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. He's not proud. Do you get it? Do you see it? And so how do we do this? The solution is to lean into the gospel the good news that Jesus Christ did for you, which you could never do for yourself. Come on, the good news that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you when you least deserved it, right? It's that truth that transforms your heart. So now you can love unlovable people. Come on, how many of you know it's not in your nature that you can love people? It's not in your efforts. How many of you have tried that before and found out quickly how easy it is to fail, right? Come on, Paul says elsewhere that whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so you don't love people because you're good. You don't love people because of your efforts. No, no, it's Christ in you. You begin to love them through the Christ in you. It's the love of Christ inside of you is how you can live up to this list with the help of the Holy Spirit. We don't love people with our own efforts. Observation number two, we're talking about Jesus-style love as Paul describes it. Observation number two, Jesus-style love is action-oriented. Come on, everybody say action-oriented. Look at verse seven, okay? Here's what Paul says. Love, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I want you to notice that Paul says love looks like something. Love is not just a feeling. Love, he, he didn't say love is warm and fuzzy. Don't you love when you feel it? No, 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 no. I used to be an English teacher. He uses plenty of action verbs here. He says it trusts, it hopes, right? It protects, it perseveres. Like love looks like something. And this is what we see in the life of Jesus. If you've ever read the Gospels before, you'll, this will be familiar to you. Often it says Jesus was moved by compassion, he felt compassion. You ever, you ever read that about Jesus before? And, and I love that word, actually, because in the Greek, it literally means Jesus felt compassion, like in his, in his gut, like in his bowels. He felt something. Yeah, that's kind of a funny word, right? I love you with all of my bowels. <laughs> he was moved, though. He didn't just feel, oh, yeah. He didn't just, he didn't just feel love. I've never read anywhere in the New Testament where it says, and Jesus was overwhelmed by compassion, and he felt warm and fuzzy, and he broke out his guitar around the campfire, and he began to sing Kumbaya, and everybody held hands. No, that's not what it says, right? It says Jesus had compassion, and he was moved by his compassion to take action, to heal people, to set people free, to save people. Do you see it? Paul says that, that Jesus not love, it's action-oriented. And here's our problem. We struggle at times to love people because we don't always feel like it. We don't always feel like it, do we? Oh, we feel a lot of things about people. It's just that love is not always one of them. We have all kinds of feelings, but we struggle to love people because we don't often feel love. Can I just, let me just give you a powerful quote from C.S. Lewis. He said this. He said, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. 
As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. I'm going to step out the way so somebody can take a picture of that because this is a powerful thing you, you have to know. So many times our feelings keep us from loving people. What C.S. Lewis is saying here is absolutely true. No, no, sometimes you just got to act in love towards someone and your feelings will eventually catch up. I've experienced this before. Years ago, I was going through a process of forgiving someone and guess what I kept doing? I didn't cut that person out of my life. This was some somebody who I needed to forgive. And I just kept having coffee with them, kept meeting with them. I just kept rehearsing and acting as if I love them. And guess what? I actually begin to love them. My feelings caught up to my actions. Are you with me? My feelings caught up. See, love is a choice, not a feeling. Our world, we write love songs and we talk about love like it's a feeling. No, no. How many of you know love is a choice? Love is a choice, not just a feeling. So choose to put love into action. And eventually, here's the good news, your feelings will catch up. Your feelings will catch up. Now, I know sometimes it's hard to love people when you feel overwhelmed by your own stuff, by your own pain, by your own stress of life. And we're living in anxious times right now, aren't we? I heard a pastor say the other day in an interview, we're living in CPR times, COVID, political, and racial unrest, CPR, right? And now you can just add to that inflation. There's another thing to make you feel really good. All you're hearing about on the news these days is inflation, right? When you go to the grocery store and gas station, we all have enough to put us on edge. And I've been praying for people the last few weeks. I know it's real. And sometimes it feels like, how do we love people when, Pastor, I'm overwhelmed by my own stuff? Can I just give you... Just a simple testimony. Uh, last week, last Sunday, when I came in here, I wasn't feeling so good. Um, I've been having some issues with my diet and just kind of really not feeling myself for the past few months and been working on that. And then um, I, I actually was wrestling with a little bit of anxiety the last couple weeks. Um, and so some of you might say, well, Pastor Jeremy, we couldn't tell at all by, by your preaching. Well, thank you, Holy Spirit and caffeine. Holla. So amen. Amen, somebody. <laughs> Great combination. <laughs> so Here's the thing. I really wasn't feeling that great. I really wasn't. And, you know, I jumped in uh, with the prayer team because I, could just, I just had a sense there were a lot of needs in the, in the room and the prayer team was a little bit thin and I, and I began to pray for people. And I'll tell you, I wasn't feeling great, but you know what happened as I prayed for other people and their needs? It activated my compassion. It activated my compassion. And as I began to pray for people, guess what happened to me? It lifted my spirits. It got me outside of myself. It got me outside of my little funk. And I left this place with a pep in my step because there's something that happens, right? When you activate your compassion, it'll get you outside of yourself. It's counterintuitive. So if you're feeling overwhelmed right now about your own stuff, and I know so many of you, you're carrying so much. Find a way with the help of the Holy Spirit to love someone else, bless someone else, encourage someone else, text somebody else a scripture, and watch how the joy of the Lord becomes a strength to you as you activate your compassion. Jesus-style love, keep that as the ultimate goal. How do you know if you're doing it right? Jesus-style love. Read about Jesus. Get in the Gospels. See how Jesus loved people. Put that into action with the help of the Holy Spirit, and you'll know you're doing it right. Amen? Here's point number three. We're talking about how do we excel at love. If we could, if we could just pick one thing, Paul says, if you could excel at love, you, you would get it right. Let me just give you one thing, not 20 things. Excel at love. Here's the, here's, the, here's the thing. Point number three, prioritize the one thing that will last. And have you figured out by now at this point in the sermon what the one thing is? It's love, right? Prioritize the one thing that will last. Look at this, chapter 13, verses eight through 13. Paul says this, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Remember, we're talking about the back, backdrop to this chapter is the spiritual gifts, right? Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. 
For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul says, prioritize the one thing that will last. Here's what Paul says. He tells us that love supersedes the spiritual gifts because it's going to outlast them. He says, prioritize love even over the gifts. Get the motivation right because guess what? If you end up with love, you've ended up with the right thing because love supersedes the spiritual gifts because it's going to outlast them. All right, let me give you this example, okay? Football season is upon us. Is there anybody in the house who's just a little bit blessed by the fact that football is upon us? Can I get an amen? Somebody. All is right in the world. Football season's coming back. And the other day, Aaron and I, my my son, who's like basically an ESPN analyst, we were talking about football and we were talking about Tom Brady. And I know there's the reactions of love and hate, right? But we were talking about Tom Brady and, and, you know, really what makes him the GOAT, right? The greatest of all time. And it's really that he's outlasted everybody. Because if you know anything about football, there are other quarterbacks that are more talented. There are other quarterbacks that maybe even have more impressive stats. But what makes Tom Brady so great is that he just keeps showing up season after season and adding to his stats and adding to his Super Bowls, right? Like, I think the guy's going to live forever. He's going to play forever. I mean, I'm 42 years old, and I need a day to recover after playing pickup basketball. And Tom Brady, I'm not even being tackled by a 300-pound lineman, you know? He's unbelievable. But here's, here's the point. Here's the picture. Paul says love is like that. What, what makes love great is that it just outla- it's going to outlast all of us. It's going to outlast everything. What Paul has in mind here in these verses is the second coming of Christ, like the end of the world as, as we know it, the, the new heavens and the new earth. He essentially says prioritize love because love is, is one of the only things that will outlast this present world. Come on, love is the goat. Tom Brady is not the goat. Love is the goat. <laughs> love is the greatest of all time. All right, you can take that picture down because some people are having sinful reactions to it. And it's not arousing love in them. They're only distracted. Paul says, love is the greatest of all time because it's the only thing that's going to last. It's going to outlast so much, so many of the things that we invest our our time into. Let me show you this from the New Living Translation. I want to go back and look at a few of these verses from the New Living Translation because I think it's going to help you get it. All right, I want you to remember the lens here. Paul's talking about like the, the age to come, like when Jesus returns. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's look at verses 8 through 10, and then we'll skip to 13. He says, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless when, when Christ returns. But, when, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. These things, these things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Paul says love is transcendent. Love somehow transcends. It's the one thing that we can bank on that will outlast everything else. Somehow love transcends to the other side of eternity. He says our our knowledge and our gifts, they're going to be like nothing when we cross over into eternity. When Jesus returns and there's a new heavens and there's a new earth and and this age is over and the age to come is upon us. Think about this. The greatest thinkers and scientists and, and philosophers will be like children compared to the simplest person on the other side of eternity. Why? Because their knowledge will be complete. And knowledge will be complete. And then Paul says, your giftings, as wonderful as they are, you're not going to need them. 
You're not going to need them when Christ returns because the church's mission is going to be complete. Here's the idea. One day, the curtain will be pulled back and we'll understand eternity in a way that we can't right now. Right, right? One day when Jesus returns and there's a new heavens and a new earth and we're with him, like we're going to understand things that we don't even begin to understand right now. But here's the good thing. When you arrive there, love will still make sense. You'll recognize love. You'll experience love. Come on, we're going to spend time in heaven loving on our God and loving on each other. You're going to recognize it. It's going to be the one thing that's going to carry over. And so guess what, church? You might as well start, might as well start rehearsing now. Might as well start practicing loving each other right now because guess what? We're spending eternity together and it's going to be one big party. Come on, the Bible describes it as the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're having a, a wedding party. I'm saving my best dance moves when we get to heaven. Y'all ain't seen nothing yet. And we got some Indians in our church, and I'm going to tell you, Indians know how to throw a party, okay? They know how to throw a wedding. They're going to be in charge of the, of the wedding supper of the line. It's going to be lit. We're going to be... It's going to be awesome. I'm telling y'all. And so here's the idea. <laughs> Love is one of the few things in this life that will matter in the next. <laughs> Love is one of the few things in this life that will matter in the next. You got to get this. You got to think about this. Come on, you got to get this in your heart today. This is such a powerful truth, such a powerful truth. If you're going to invest in anything, invest in love because it's one of the few things in this life that's going to matter in the life to come. See, let me encourage somebody today. We all can't be the smartest person. We all can't be the wealthiest person. We all can't be the most talented person. But guess what we can all do? We can all excel at love. We can all excel at love. And here's the reality. You don't really remember the people who impressed you. You remember the people who loved you well. That's the one thing that remains. Think back about your life. The people who have touched your life, the people who impacted your life, the people who made a difference in your life, they weren't the fanciest, smartest people necessarily. They're the people who loved you well. People who loved you well. See, there's power in love. There's power in love. When you choose to love someone, you pull something from eternity into the present. Come on, think about this. Paul says love is on the other side. Love lies on the other side of the curtain. It's transcendent. That's why there's so much power in love. It's not from this broken world. It's from another world. It's from the world and the age that is to come. When you love someone, you pull something from the future into the present. Love transcends. Love transcends bitterness. Love love transcends offense. Love transcends divorce. Love transcends brokenness. Come on, love transcends people sinning against us. It transcends unforgiveness. It transcends even sin itself because love is not from this world. It's from the age that is to come, the new heavens, the new earth. It's from eternity. So powerful, so powerful. So let me share this quote with you from Martin Luther King Jr. He said this, we must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love. And when we discover that, we will be able to make this old world a new world. Come on, how many of you know this is what our world needs? This is what's so powerful. This is what's so powerful about self-sacrificial, others-focused, Jesus-style love. It's the only thing that can transform this broken world that we live in because it's from another world. It's from another world. This is what our world needs right about now. Now, some of you might say, well, Pastor Jimmy, that's really nice. We've, you know, yes, love can change the world. You don't even have to go to church to hear that message. Love, love can change the world. We're having a wonderful Holy Spirit pep rally this morning. But, you know, what difference does that really make? Can I give you a really powerful real world example of the power of love? A few weeks ago, uh, me and my oldest son, Aaron, and my, my father, we were in Rome. 
and we visited the Pantheon. Now, the Pantheon is one of the architectural gems of the ancient world. It's, it's amazing. It's this amazing building. It was originally, a, a, it's now a church, but it was originally a Roman temple dedicated to the gods. Pantheon means all of the gods. So it was dedicated to all the gods of Roman mythology. And it's this beautiful building. Uh, it's got this rotunda on the inside with an oculus, a circle where the light shines into it. And the, the tour guide told us not only was it dedicated to the worship of all of these gods, but it was also completed at the time when the Romans began to worship Caesar, their emperor, as a god. In fact, there was this ritual where he would stand in the temple and the light would shine from the oculus onto him and everybody would kind of be in awe of him. Now, here's what blew me away. Several centuries later, as Christianity began to overtake the Mediterranean world and the Roman Empire, this became a church. And this is what I got to, to, to thinking about. I already knew that, but this is what hit me as I was in the Pantheon. I went over to this, this altar. We have another picture for you. There, there's an altar with Jesus there hanging on the cross. And me and my son meditated on this for a moment. At the time... The original Pantheon was built. It was around the time of the birth of Christ. Around the time of the birth of Christ. Now, now get this. Here's Caesar and all these gods being worshipped in this temple. They had no idea that within a few centuries, this man who was born in some far-flung province in the middle of nowhere on the other side of the empire would be the very man who would overtake the empire, that all of the statues of the other gods would come down and he would be lifted up in this temple. They couldn't even imagine that, right? But, but get this for a moment. Get this, as I'm looking at this, talk about a real world example of the power of love. It hit me like, how could that happen to think at the time this temple was complete, Caesar, Rome was at its greatest strength, its greatest might. They basically ran the known world at the time. And here was this man who was a nobody within a few centuries would turn the world upside down. How is it possible? It's possible when you look at that man hanging on that cross and you realize the power of self-sacrificial love. Self-sacrificial love, the only thing that can really change the world. Let me tell you, this is what, this is what got inside of the early Christians. This is how they, changed, how they changed the world, how they turned the world upside down. They got radically committed to loving God. They got radically committed to Jesus-style, others-focused, others -focused, action-oriented love. And they started loving each other. And they started caring for the poor. And they started taking care of the sick that nobody wanted to take care of. They started caring for children that were discarded on the street. And people began to take notice. And they thought, whatever those people have, I want some of that. And within a few centuries, they turned the whole known world upside down. Come on, church, our world's so broken right now. Our world is so broken right now. People are hurting. People are hurting. There's so much pain in our world right now. Man, if there was one thing that our world needs right now, it's followers of Jesus Christ to rediscover Jesus' style. Jesus' style love. Others focus. Others focus action-oriented, humble love that lifts up Jesus. Come on, this is what our world needs right now. I say it all the time, but I really believe Christians should be known for being the most loving, generous people on the planet. If we're known by anything, we should be known by, by our love. If you went on the street today and you started interviewing people and asking them, hey, what do, you, what do you think of when you think of the church? You would get some interesting answers, right? You might get some positive answers. You might get some neutral answers, but we all know you would certainly get some negative answers. You would get some people who've been hurt by the church or feel like church has no relevance for their life or don't fully even understand what Christians believe. We all know that's true. But what if, what if like the church of Jesus Christ gets so committed to Jesus style love, like we're going to excel at one thing. If there's one thing
thing that's worth investing in, if there's one thing that's worth excelling in, if, if we're known for anything, we want to be known for being the most loving people on the planet. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we got such a reputation that people are like, you know, those people over at Redemption, I don't fully know what they believe. They sing really loud. They got loud music. People lift their hands. And I don't know what they're putting in the Kool-Aid over there. <laughs> but man, I'm telling you, when, when somebody invited me to that church, when I came in, I felt welcomed. I felt loved. I felt something between the people there. I saw a diversity of people from all different backgrounds and different colors and ethnicities, but there was a real, there was a real love there, right? What if people, they, when they knew our church, like, oh, that's that church that shows up in the blue shirts for those serve events, you know, and they just give out free waters and build community gardens and pack backpacks for kids. Come on, what if we were known by our love, by our love, right? That's what gets people's attentions. That, that, that's what changes things. That's what turned the world upside down, the very first Christians. And guess what? It can happen all over again. If we excel at the one thing, one thing, the self-sacrificial love of Jesus Christ is exactly what our world needs right about now. And so here's the idea. Excel at love because love is the only thing that'll last. It's the only thing that'll last. Now, let's take that and make it personal for a moment because we're getting ready to pray. Where do you need to excel at love? Before we leave here today, we have just a feel-good moment. What are the needs around you? What are the relationships in your life right now? Broken relationship with a family member, strained relationship with a spouse, strained relationship with a child, a coworker, somebody you're caring for, difficult in your life right now, somebody who offended you, a friend who stabbed you in the back, somebody who wasn't there for you. Come on, make it personal right now. Make it personal right now. As you think about that, faces pop into your head, names pop into your mind, right? Where do we need Jesus-style love? Where do we need his love? Can I just tell you, personally, I've had times in my life where there were people who were really hard to love, people who hurt me, that I was faithful in their life. And, and the reality is, in my own effort, I, I, I couldn't love them. According to my own feelings, I didn't feel like loving them. When I, when I thought about that person, I didn't feel love. But as I prayed, the compassion of Jesus came over me. As I prayed, the love of Jesus began to love through me so that there was a supernatural love. Come on, a love that's not even from this world came over my heart for that person. And God can do that for you too, amen? Come on, why don't you stand with me this morning? Let's take a moment. We're gonna pray into this. We're gonna ask God to help us. We've tried to do this on our own. We've tried to do this in our own efforts. We've all tried to be good people, but here's what we need. We need the help of God today. We need a touch of the Holy Spirit. Come on, would you just pray with me today? God, we thank you for your love. God, we thank you for your self-sacrificial love, love with no strings attached. God, we thank you that you loved us when we least deserved it. While we were yet sinners, you sent your son Jesus to die for us today. We recognize your love. May it cover our, cover our sins today. May it cover us by, by your grace today. May it change our hearts. God, we thank you that today you're putting a new nature on the inside of us, that we don't love people in our own efforts, but we love people out of our new nature. We love people out of the Christ in us. So Jesus, we lean on you today. We lean on your grace Today, we ask that love would be our motivation. Whatever we do, whatever we're doing in life, whatever our career is, caring for our family, whatever our, our responsibility is, we know that our purpose is love. Love is the why behind the what for us. And God, we want to prioritize the one thing that will last, the one thing that can heal the brokenness of our hearts, the brokenness of this world, because it's the one thing that's not even from this world. It's from the world that is to come. 
recognize the power of love today. We thank you for it. And as we're praying today, I want to pray for the person today who would say, Pastor Jeremy, I want to know God that way. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to feel that love, but I feel so far away from him today. I don't, I don't even know where, where to start, but I feel something tugging in my heart today to have a relationship with God that way. If that's you, we believe the tugging on your heart is the tug of a loving God who is drawing you to himself by his spirit, to his son, Jesus, who gave his life for you. And it starts with placing your faith in him. It starts with saying, Jesus, I place my faith in you. So I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus today. If that's you, just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I give you my yes. Give you my yes. I place my faith in you. Pray this with me. I choose to believe that you are who you said you are, the son of God, that you lived for me, that you died on the cross for me, for my sins, that you were resurrected to give me new life. I turn from my sins and I place my faith in you. Father, I bless every person who prayed that prayer today for the first time, for the hundredth time. God, we thank you for your love that overwhelms our hearts. God, we thank you for your spirit that testifies to our spirit that we're born again, sons and daughters. We cry out, Abba, Father, because we can know you as Father. We're no longer separated from you. Thank you that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And we give you praise today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.